Welcome to the Growth Elevated Leadership Podcast with Julian Castelli. Each week, we talk with senior tech leaders to explore stories and insights about the challenges involved with growing technology companies. We hope that these stories can help you become a better leader and help you navigate your own growth journey. Okay. Today, we are uh, joined by Scott Stone. Scott was the chief strategy officer of a company called Chargeback, uh, and they had a successful exit. They sold the SIFT. I was lucky enough to be involved, and I, I really wanted to bring Scott on today to talk about the evolution of strategy at Chargeback, and in particular, how they, they started creating value through strategic partnerships with a number of players and ultimately led to a great outcome. Scott, welcome. Hey, Julian. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you here. So, so Chargeback, get, help us understand the journey a little bit by, by framing it. When did you join the company? I joined Chargeback actually initially as a consultant. I knew the CEO. Um, he, had been, he had been placed there by uh, their lead investor to kind of help uh, with a transition from the previous C CEO who left and founder. Right. Um, and I had just went in to consult on some GTM stuff. And that was in 20, end of 2015 is when I- Okay, when so I, you started in 2015 and, and we had John Monroe on the, the podcast a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. He shared the story, uh, you know, at, at the end there uh, in 2021, you know, a successful exit, uh, a, a sale to SIFT, which yep. is, you know, a, a much bigger SaaS company doing exciting things. So uh, the, I wanted to get you on and, and understand the earlier parts of the journey and how you guys evolved because when- uh, Actually, before we dive into strategy, just just remind remind the audience uh, what Chargeback did. What was the mission, and and who did you help? Ooh, our mission. You know, our vision was much more sticky. I could probably recite yeah, it. Sure. Mission, something along the lines of to rid the world of the pain of dispute management, something like that. But it was about simplifying chargebacks. We had a cool vision, though. Good, strong vision. It was recovering a hundred million dollars worth of revenue for merchants by twenty twenty four. Uh, Got it. So that was our uh, that was sort of our tangible manifestation uh, of of that vision. Our customers are merchants merchants with a lot of chargebacks. So enterprise merchants, uh, tip, typically with with consumer products, could be services, physical goods. Um, we we uh, our platform was really built and geared towards e-commerce, mm -hmm. uh, and we you know we had on our product roadmap to get into hospitality. And travel and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I was I was in uh, hospitality and travel, and that's a, a chargebacks are a huge issue in that space, and that's how I got drawn to it. I remember seeing the the business when it was uh, raising uh, angel money, and uh, and then getting getting brought back in, uh, you know, several year, several years after you were there, um, and and I understand the the, the pain because. You know, my company, we we had several people doing nothing but but managing the chargebacks. It's a it's a laborious process. And and you had to build a product too, right? Because I think we were you had had some some of the tools built so you could manage at its scale, but there was a lot of services going on. And so what yeah. what year did you kind of get the, the the SaaS product built and start selling you know SaaS software? The business really started in 2017 and then had its first sort of production. Um, era in in early 2018. And so, you know, you one of the things that was pretty neat, it, 
was you were able to, to transfer some of your legacy customers to the software, which is a big, big win. And I remember that that's, that's about when I got involved, I was pretty impressed because you had some great brands and uh, you know, combination of maybe some new customers and transitioning old customers, you know, while, while I sure didn't seem that way for you, it, you know, I think to the outside world was impressed. You guys kind of shot up to something like a million dollars of ARR pretty quickly, had some yeah. great brands, and had a great value proposition, just like as you described, right? You can yep. both save money and drive revenue. Uh, and, and obviously, I, I was pretty excited about it because I got involved and 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 brought in some investment, and 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 that was an exciting start. We, we you know, we we had to decide where we wanted to focus, and and this kind of set the stage for the partnership aspect of the business. At the time, if you had asked me and. 2018 or even 2019, if, if we were partner centric on our go to market, I would have said no. You know, we're out. We're. we're well, I recall on. you were putting together the the direct motion, right? And really understanding yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, you, who your ideal customer profile was, and, and and you were iterating on the cost side and the revenue side. Yeah, investing heavily in in, in demand gen through content and trade shows. Right. Uh, they, you know, we, you know, bringing on BDRs, AEs, running a very traditional playbook. But in hindsight, the truth is what happened is in 2018, we pared it down to customers who we wanted to fully automate. So we asked right, right. Nikon and Levi's and Michael Kors to move over to the new platform and we would take it to a level of automation where they didn't have to do anything. Right. And we, and we specifically chose CyberSource Decision Manager and uh, first data as a backend processor to focus our energy. Mm -hmm. So we built out those and, and that let us ignore Chase and Vantiv and, and all the other things that we would end up needing to integrate, to bring in data, to have a larger and larger addressable market. Um, we didn't really, but like that was more of a forcing function. Let's, let's focus on these customers and their data set, right? Get that integrated well. Um, and then, you know, subsequently what happened there, we ended up closing or setting up a strategic partnership. Our very first one that the bulk of the business was off of was with Bank of America, mm -hmm. um, Bank of America Merchant Service. They they were actually, CyberSource was actually the company that referred uh, Michael Kors, Nikon, and Levi's. That didn't have anything to do with our decision to focus on their data sets and, and how to automate this. But it, but I, you know, in hindsight, it's like, you know, we've kind of been running this playbook from sure. day one of, of living. No, let's, let's talk about, so you, you started off with a traditional direct strategy, had some success, clearly benefited from some of your legacy customers from the, the managed services business. But, but what we really want, want to talk about today is, is the impact of your, your pivot to working with strategic partners. So give us a little bit of history as to how that started and, you know, John talked about saying no to a lot of things, and I think you just referenced it too. You, you're, you're a thinly funded startup; you can't do everything. I think you guys got on a path of saying this is a this is a really uh, high value path here with partnerships, and it obviously paid off. What was the behind the scenes there? How did you come to that decision, and what were your choices, and what did you discard, and what did you choose? Yeah, so the Bank of America partnership, because it was essentially just a, the sales and marketing end of First Data pushed us closer and closer with first data and we we integrated uh, their legacy systems which were old and archaic you know batch files daily uh, you know 
when that dissolved, we kind of had to come back to the table and say, "Our, you know, how what is our strategy here that aligns the company? How how can we be the most efficient and the most effective?" Um, and at the time, as the chief strategy officer, I was asked to come up with some options, mm-hmm. like what how how can we move forward into next year with the best strategy and focus that kind of aligns everyone. And so the exercise was how do how do we align product? what they're building, what they're working on, what, what, what is ultimately being asked of engineering to sales and what they're out, who they're out prospecting. We had a long sales cycle, enterprise merchants, right. wait till their budgets opened up. We had to have these strong relationships with them. Uh, so we, you know, we had time, but we needed to have focus and we needed to be able to deliver. And I came back with two sort of very broad options. One was to focus on an acquirer like Chase or like First Data. Um, we had some good integrations there, but with Bank of America dissolving and get, getting rid of the joint venture with them, we didn't have that sales muscle anymore to lean on. Mm-hmm. We didn't have referrals. We couldn't work deals with them. And, and so, you know, maybe we go to Chase or, or maybe we go to Tesis or Global. Or, and so I sort of presented this option, but I took them through the data they had. So they had all the chargeback data. They had it, you know, what you need to know there was a chargeback and you had to respond, but you had no evidence. There's mm-hmm. nothing about this chargeback that you you know you could automate other than saying to the merchant, give me all your evidence, go get it out of all your different systems, wherever you get yeah. it, your fraud filter, your e-commerce platform, whatever, and you know, maybe put it in the software I have and and we'll send it back. It wasn't a big lift from what they were already doing at Chase. You'd already mm-hmm. go to Chase and you'd have all your chargebacks and you'd get all your right. evidence and you'd put it all in Chase. But, you know, as far as benefits go, you know, hundreds of thousands of merchants, you know, you know, hundreds of sales, like so many relationships and so many doors to open. On the other hand, you had fraud filters. Uh, Fraud filters were analogous to CyberSource, but, you know, there there were there were other options in the marketplace. Been talking to uh, Count. We you know, we, we had actually had a relationship with Count at this point and. Uh, there was a whole slew of them. There was Ravelin and Forder and Riskified and Signified and Certified, like on down the list. Certified, we couldn't work with. Uh, signified and Riskified, you know, we could go talk and, to them and, and say. And, this category, just, you know, most, most people don't know what these companies do. So just try to give us a high level. This is a category of companies that do what and the benefit of partnering for them is what? Yeah. So go back to the data. The difference here with these companies is they had a different set of data. They didn't necessarily have the chargeback, the notification from the acquirer and that little data set, but they had everything that the customer did. They sat at the beginning of the of the inflection point with the customer where they're going to make a purchase or or when they're using the service. And they're they're doing things like ensuring that it's the right person logging in, the account hasn't been taken over. They're making sure that um, that the, the there's not stolen credit card uh, being used. That uh, there's right, not these some are fraud filter companies. Okay. Yeah. So they're they're doing a risk assessment, and in order to do that risk assessment on all these different inflection points, a purchase or a login or whatever, they're consuming all of the merchant's data. A chargeback, so they're able to see that the customer clicked the TNCs and 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 what what are the key things that you know you're able to use to arm your customer to to win a chargeback dispute you're you're basically trying to prove that the person who filed the chargeback 
is like mistaken slash lying. You know, they're they're trying to commit first party fraud. Mm -hmm. you, you could call your bank right now and say, I didn't buy whatever item on your statement you want. And the bank would say, oh, okay, well, let me reverse that, give you a new card. And it sounds like you were a victim of fraud. It's a super simple process right. and, and they're there to help. And this is a guarantee that Visa's had from day one. Super important to the network. Uh, we could talk about how if they didn't have this guarantee, right. they'd be in the same. Yeah, it creates trust. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, they, they have all this data. They need it to make that risk assessment. They know what you bought, what pages you were on, how long you were on them. They don't necessarily like store all this and are building profiles about people and us. But if we're talking about a specific transaction, a specific event, um, they they have all of that data. And if you file a chargeback, the best source to go to is their system. It's okay, got so everything that the e-commerce platform has. It might even have some of the customer service stuff in it. It's got a lot of rich data in it. And they, they have the customers as well, right? So there's a, a data advantage on, on this one. And then what's their... Yeah. Like, like from your perspective about a partnership, what do they have? They, they have data. What else do they have? Uh, they have, so there's a few things we put on, I put on this matrix. I could probably dig it up, but you have uh, buyer personas was important. Ideal customer profiles. There's some other industry, like we're talking specifically about fraud and acquirers because after building the matrix, they were at the top with the highest points as far as overlapping things that we wanted. There was different types of data we wanted, like categories, transactional, you know, front end data. Uh, and, 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 you know, when you have all this on a page, the fraud filters have important data. They have the right customers. They have the right buyers. Like we're trying to sell to the, the customers that manage chargebacks. Right. By and large, it's the fraud teams or it's the payments team who also owns the fraud team. So they're like within the same department. It's a great target for us. A lot of the right relationships. And then at the end of the column, we had vested interest in chargebacks. And the only two folks that really had that were the fraud companies and the acquirers. So the acquirers are on the hook. If you go out of business, they got to hold the bag on all these chargebacks. And then the fraud companies were, they sold you on the idea that you wouldn't get chargebacks or you'd get less, you know, these types of things. And now you have them. And so it's important to them to continue to help solve this problem. So they bubbled to the top. You know, I basically made the argument that we should focus on fraud companies. Everyone got aligned around it. And so yeah. describe, okay, you had two categories of partners you recommended and the company decided that you should focus on fraud filters. Describe the partnership. You know, what, what, are you, what is chargeback bringing to the table? What are the, why are they interested in, in partnering with chargeback and who's the customer talking to, to, to buy a solution? So we go to these, we go to these companies with the same message. Uh, you're, you know, you came in, you solved a lot of the problem. You've, you're preventing true fraud chargebacks. You're doing a great job, but you still have a lot of fraud chargebacks, right? All of your customers. And they'd be like, yeah, it's this darn first party fraud stuff. It's super annoying. Well, we can solve that with your data. This is what our system does. So my ask was, let's set up a pipe where if we have a mutual customer, we can consume your data easily. I can notify you of a chargeback. And that was another angle is I knew they needed the chargebacks. Mm -hmm. So if you dig a little bit further into this matrix, the machine learning ones were truly at the top above the others because they needed to know the chargebacks mm -hmm. because uh, they, they used it to do the supervised machine learning. They needed to let the machine know you made a mistake, a fraud chargeback came in. And there was uh, some nuances to that. They didn't want to just flood the machine. They wanted to be like accurate with it. So I could go in and tell the story 
that through our hard work with your data, we were going to give you these chargebacks, not only the notifications, but we we're going to take it to a next level and tell you which ones were truly friendly fraud versus true fraud. So you could only label your machine learning on true fraud and that would tune it up and it would get better. So it was really a one plus one equals three argument. You're helping them refine their models and their service offering, detecting more fraud. Just as importantly, the, the end customer, they're already paying for fraud protection from one of these companies, but now they, they also want to solve their friendly fraud, which is a chargeback. Exactly. What was the business model? Like a customer's out there in the wild. Are they referring their customers to you to, to handle the friendly fraud? Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, this is David and Goliath. Eventually. They have a lot more customers than you do. Yeah. How, how do you work something like that? Because if, if I'm on the other side, I hear you say, yeah, sure. If you've got joint customers, great. But you probably have five joint, five customers, yeah. and you have a thousand. That doesn't feel like a, friend, like a fair partnership. So, you know, standard playbook here. Let's do some account mapping. You know, uh, here, here's all the deals we're working. What deals are you working? Where can we cross sell and help each other? That was hard, you know, asking for that list, you know, much more difficult. Giving them a list of customers, getting a list of their customers, hard. So we're working on those things, right? But in the interim... And who did you sign? You just described the category, but like, did you sign a partnership with one or two companies? Uh, so we signed with... We set up a data feed and had, you know, an established contractual partnership with Sift and Count and Ravelin uh, and No Fraud. And we had uh, Forder and Riskified in the pipe. We literally partnered with four or five. That feels pretty hard as, you know, again, I remember all startups are, are resource constrained. I remember how resource constrained you were. So it feels really hard to work with four or five partners. Did you kind of start focusing on one or two and... You know, there's a lot of long poles in this tent. So while I'm out, you know, working to get these relationships stood up, I'm also educating and selling them and, and getting them to create internal infrastructure that doesn't exist. Getting your data to us, there's some ways to do it, but like, is it productized? Do you have a system to do that? Most, none of them did. So some set up you know, connections, their data warehouse, which required a human to run a SQL query and then give us a report. It was, it was not elegant at, at start. So SIPT kind of got on board first with mapping it to something they were already working on, which was a webhook framework that would send us a, a lot of the data we needed, not all of it. Um, Count, you know, built a system to publish to an SFTP folder the data we needed for mutual customer. And the others were like still working on it, trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah, so I, I can imagine that being really frustrating and difficult, you know, like trying oh, to move man. a much larger organization, trying to get on their priority list. So I, you, you managed to find a couple that actually did. Um, I any, got a phone any, call. Any lessons? You know, again, we're trying to, let, let's go kind of high level. You're the small company, the large company. You need them to we do had to, Yeah, we had to get scrappy. You know, waiting for this and getting this stuff in place is difficult. So we don't have account mapping. We don't have a data feed, but we've got buy-in. They want to do it. They might do it, but we need to we need to do more. So what I did is I took, I just used a web crawler to tell me all the websites that had SIFT on it, right? Uh, everyone that has their JavaScript installed on the front end and their apps and on their websites. Same with count, same with these others. And we built um, our direct motion around those companies. So if you were if you were one of their customers, 
we were trying to sell you. That's how, that's where we pointed okay. everyone. So you, and got, we went, you got creative. You, you, if they, they've been on giving you your customer list, but you figured out who their customers were. Yep. You had this, at least you had this high level agreement with the partner and you're able to leverage that in your sales motion saying, Hey, we, we know you're already trying to solve this problem with our partner. We share data so we can really help make that better. And we solve this part that they don't do. Is that yeah, exactly. <clears throat> we went to those customers just completely transparent. Hey, you're using SIFT. Check this out. We can take SIFT's data, combine it with your payment service provider's data, your transaction and chargeback data. We can automate this chargeback process for you. Uh, and, and the fact, and we're working with SIFT and we can collaborate. That was a door opener, you know, just them say, oh, cool, you're integrated to SIFT or you're integrated account. We love them. Great. Let's, let's have a conversation. So, I, you know, our, our thoughts were, you know, going back to the meeting where we're, where are we going to focus? The outcome that we were trying to solve for was an acquisition. We, we, our intentions weren't to ride this thing all the way to an IPO. We wanted to, we wanted to create a scenario where a company would acquire us and turn us into a product in their organization. So we left the room focused on this, everyone aligned around it. And this meant product was going to dig deeper into how to integrate with SIFT, how to, how to support this, what they needed to build to, to send that info back, how to catch that info and ingest it. And it, our sales team was like, okay, we're going to focus on these lists. And our market team was going to build assets around the fact that we're integrated and we're doing this. And so everybody was just marching to the same beat. You know, we're, we're all focused on the same thing. And it, it was simple. It was just, let's sell their customers. Mm -hmm. Let's just sell their customers. And, and that's our, that's our addressable market. We shrunk it all the way down to their customers and, and uh, we'll grow that market. If another fraud filter is like, wants to play ball and we have some indication right. that they want to work with us. But, but, but find some fertile ground to really focus on and, and you had success with it, right? Yeah. So we closed pretty quickly, eight of their customers. And, you know, we're having these conversations what was, what get... was it just because of all the things you just mentioned, because, you know, you had the credibility of working with the partner, you knew that the, you, you knew based on their working with them, that they were concerned about the issue. Did it provide access to the right people? What, 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 what do you think helped you close eight so quickly? I think, you know, it's a good product. So it was a good, it was a good, it was a good solution. Uh, and then you, you couple that with some validation from trusted vendors i think that's what really helped is we would i could loop in the partner team mm -hmm. over at sift or over account and say hey I'm, you know we're talking to this merchant they said they're using sift i knew going in they were using sift but you know after we have some conversations and they let us know then uh, they say oh great let's set up a call and we'll all talk to them and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll validate the fact that we know you and like you. Yeah, that's got to be very powerful for a small company to have mm -hmm. a much bigger player, you know, give them the comfort that, they, that you're trustworthy. It's comfort. Yeah, trust. So that yeah. helped close deals, you know, it, it, it crystallized the vision for them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so so those eight customers closed basically because it was a good solution it solved a problem and you know there was there was that market validation from a from an existing trusted vendor right i remember at that point you know, john talked about how you said no to a lot of other things which takes takes guts but you know 
the the deals coming in then almost were exclusively from count and sift for for a period of time there right mm-hmm yep thank god too <laughs> yeah, so, yeah no no that was that was in that... in in hindsight what happened is we had those initial cybersource customers which were referred by cybersource because they decided to stop providing any type of chargeback support a long time ago yeah 2015 or something like that um, and then, and then we had the Bank of America thing come up, and and they they were in the market going hard. You know, we're talking. Three, you know, I remember they were a great partner, but they went out of the market. So three, four hundred reps out pushing us. All yeah. of our like eighty percent of our revenue was from them. Fifty percent of our pipeline when this was happening was from them, even though they had disappeared. When we were trying to like you know figure out how, what our new go to market motion was, half of our existing pipeline was from. Bank of America. Yeah, so that and just, it was gone, and there that, was no that probably more gave you confidence in in the value of a strong partnership channel because you'd yeah. seen that, right? And that 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 did that get you know did that give you confidence to say no to everything else? Say let's just focus on these partnership partnership channels now. It did. It did. We we you know we even though we had thought we were focused on direct and building this, and we had talked internally about hey, look, if we can't do it direct. You know, it's not fair to a partner for them to be introing us or trying to help sell with us. We've got to get our, we've got to be able to do it on our own. So I think it was really important that we focused on it. We tried to do it on our own and we ironed out our process. So when we got a referral from a merchant, you know, we, we had a good process and, and we were able to run a playbook that was not just totally dependent on them and, and, and the way they positioned it and sold it and everything. We took it over and we, we did it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's valuable. So, so how how long were you working with Sift? You closed those eight customers, and then let's talk about you know you, you had in the back of your mind that that they would be a good strategic acquire. Uh, in this case, you know it, it happened. It doesn't always happen, but just just like take us through the end of the story, then we'll go back and talk about lessons, do's and don'ts. Yeah, you know we figured two to three years. So, um, I had just flown out to San Francisco and spent a few hours in their office with them doing some whiteboarding at the end of 2019. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of had the 2020 strategic planning session, a lot of cool conversation that I had directly with SIFT. Also went up to Idaho and did the same thing with Count. And, you know, that informed a lot of it. In, in 2020, when we were all aligned and focused on this strategy and we had closed eight of their customers, um, you know, COVID had hit and their yeah. business was exploding. All of it, everyone's was. And they came to us and said, you know, we want to make an acquisition and we, we want to, you know, we basically want to talk to you. This was, this was the summer of 2020. And I was like, whoa, that's. Well, that was like during lockdown, wasn't it? Uh, it was, you know, a few months after, you know, so, so right. March was lockdown, but yeah, this is in the midst of like, don't yeah, go. That, that was like, that was the summer when no everyone had left the office. And I remember that. And yeah. Did they actually fly out or you just have a Zoom meeting? No, just Zoom meetings. So I, we, we didn't really meet with them. It, you know, 2020 became like this theme of, hey, Scott, let me get you connected to our president and let's get your CEO connected to our CEO. Their CEO at the time was their founder who had created the company from, from the ground up. Um, and so it wasn't until like December that we actually got those meetings. We just kept talking about it. So I think internally over at SIF, they were they were growing fast. COVID had like wiped out a big chunk of business, but then all the other e-commerce stuff that they were doing exploded. Yeah, e-commerce exploded. Everyone's mm -hmm. at home ordering things. And they and they, you know, they were really, really profitable and they, you know, were just gonna grow 
the product line. So they started that process. It was like January of, of 21 when I finally connected with their president, uh, Mark, who ended up becoming their CEO, you know, like a month later. Um, and, uh, and then, and then, uh, we started cranking. Yeah. We just, right. by May, they, you know, we, we had closed the deal. So it closed the transaction. So you probably a full year cycle from when they, you know, recommended or started talking about it and got it done within a year, which is actually in the scheme of things, not, not long at all. No, so it was way better. faster. Than we I remember the deal being closed, you know, during COVID, which was another amazing thing. Yeah. So, so this was a scenario where you you'd done the research, you'd figured out who the potential partners were, you looked at, you know, the 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 different elements of of types of partners, chose a group. Obviously, you had five or six, but you went deep with two, and it worked faster than you expected in terms of them showing interest. Yeah, and you know, ironically, uh, we were approached by another one first, um, and we went up and had the conversations, John and I, and kind of went deep with them, and uh, we both kind of passed. We our revenue wasn't where we wanted it to be. We really wanted to be have this thing at around twenty million before we started this process. Sure. Um, you know, and we were we were kind of on our way to ten when when it got all right. wrapped up. So. So was the plan to kind of use these partnerships to accelerate that? that growth to 20? Yeah, accelerate it, you know, make sure it happens in a predictable way. And, you know, we're, you know, it was just a, a good process for us. So, you know, but it, it's always messy when you're in it, but in hindsight, this was actually probably faster than you could expect a strategy like this to work and, and, and it worked really well. So with the benefit of that hindsight, you know, what, what are the things that you'd say, if you pick three things you did really well that you know others can learn from, and I don't know if you have two or three that you 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 might do differently. Um, if someone someone's in the stage where chargeback was, they want to uh, they want to start building a bridge to a potential acquisition. They also want to build a, a channel where they can they could close much higher percentage of their funnel. Um, what's your what were your top three things that you think were good that you did that you'd recommend others do? Uh, well, let's, I, I think let's start with this one there. There's a desire to keep your options open. You don't want to lose out on an opportunity. So you, you keep this broad net out there in this, this broad optionality that is, is actually doesn't help. Mm -hmm. And it seems risky trap. to narrow it and focus, but without that, the quality and the expertise in, in all aspects. So, I mean, just like your SDR outreach, as mm -hmm. an example of, a, of like a tiny inflection point in the process is significantly better when you, when you shrink it down and close it. So for our scenario where we were closing a particular type of customer who has a particular vendor already turned on, um, and you know, we, we have this really tight story and it, it maps across the whole journey. So from pre-sales all the way to post-sales delivery, there's no gotchas. Mm -hmm. we, we, we came to you and we said this, you read it online, then you met with our people and then you, you signed the contract and now you're implementing and it's coming true. And you can't, all those things can't be orchestrated when you're a, you know, 30 people, you know, you know, just trying to just try to build the biggest, broadest, right 
capture process that, that could exist. So. so in that regard, the partnership helped you stay aligned on a tight focus. Yeah. Okay. You know, you might not have that actual relationship or that, that, that buy-in. Um, there, there's some, there's some variables there. So meeting with the other companies, you, you got to, we, we got to know like, Oh, their, their partnership team's terrible or, or, uh, we're never going to get by in there. Um, like these guys support us. They believe it. And honestly, you, 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 you're taking that idea. So maybe number two is, can you get someone else to believe what you guys believe? So we believe this is the right strategy. We've shrunk it down. We're going to do this and we're going to either lose or win by, with this focus. Now, can we go get someone else in the market, this partner to believe it? Right. So when I left, and that's why I was yeah. earlier when you were talking about the five or six, I was like, well, I, you know, I, I got some reports as a board member, but I, I didn't hear much about those others. I, I heard about count and sift quite a bit. So those are the ones that, that were yeah. aligned and believed it. Right. Yeah. And, and like when, you know, when we're going through the deals we closed and, you know, we've got a bar chart that's uh, showing the revenue from each source and like sifts the tallest part of the bar, you know, that's, it's all, it's all very reinforcing for the board, for the team, for everyone. Like we have this strategy, we're doing this thing and look, it's working, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to keep doing this. And then of course, you know, so SIF's partner team believed it. Right. That was great. But then their executive team ended up believing it and that led to an acquisition. Right. And now, you know, they're they're They've got a product suite that includes dispute management. Right. And so, yeah, you, you had the thesis that that would fit there, but you know, you're often not going to know that while you're, you're working the partnership, but that, that, that was probably a driver up front. So here's, here's the third thing. It's a painful process to, you know, you're, you're trying to distill the information into a, the, the strategy is extremely difficult to, distill the information down to something that makes sense. And, you know, you, what, what I've seen over the years, I'd say over the last 10 years is, is a quick desire to create a project, create, you know, chase an outcome. We're going to build this. We're going to do that because we know it'll help. But the real difficult part is to explain why and get everyone to understand why, like what, how exactly is that going to help? Like, let's put some metrics down. How does it, these are super important things we need to know, need to be in this area to be healthy. We could have a, a target, we can have a baseline of what it is today and a target. How does that project, how does that thing influence and move these? And, and these should be high enough, high enough. If you, if you, if you think about the go to market motion for a minute, you have all these different components underneath it days to close, average contract value, you know, lifetime value. There's all these important metrics. And, um, you know, you have like the sales efficiency maybe is your, is your one, like how does it influence it? To go through and say, well, I'm gonna tell, you know, it, the, telling this story, we have, we have this theory about this strategy. It's gonna speed up the, 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 the intros to these customers. It's going to speed up the, the, the life cycle to close them. Yes. That's maybe not going to affect the, the, the cost. You know, the average contract values may be going to be whatever it is normally here. Mm -hmm. But like getting to the heart of how you're influencing those things that you're chasing, 
um, I think is extremely difficult and people also didn't just shut down, like trying to get it to the why and like, like really think through it. It's that thinking process that is challenging and is easy to like, okay, we've done enough. Like we've, you know, we've, sure. We've come up with some great projects. So are you, are you saying that, you know, try to drive it down to a metric or two or two or three that you, you think would really impact it. If it is speed to close, then you're going to have, you know, deal velocity metrics that are going to change. And that's, exactly. that's a supporting factor for this strategy versus the temptation of going across the world. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that's, you know, maybe just in the sales motion, but you can move that over to product and say, if that's not taking place, you know, what, what might the world look like? Okay. Well, you know, days to close a deal versus days to onboard a customer can be very different. If it's a net new integration, we've got to figure out how to consume this data. We got to, you know, right. write code to ingest it and normalize it. Like that completely changes that metric. Mm -hmm. So now they're bought into, okay, yeah, let's focus. And we can just like iterate on this. So there's a win on the sales cycle and the integration cycle. Yeah. Right. So that's, yeah. That, and then, uh, and then, you know, engineering can talk about it and be like, well, yeah, like if, if, if we're not, they cannot be spread thin and it can be pretty easy to just say, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's run with it. But if you force them to quantify it, well, but how, like, and why does it make it better? That's when the buy-in really happens when they're like, well, it's going to make these metrics better. You know, mm -hmm. the, um, did you have all that up front or did some of this you learn dur during the process? This is hindsight. We yeah, definitely okay. didn't have that. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. That'd, be, that'd be powerful. No, you know, and, well, and I, um, I find myself thinking a lot more about this, you know, lately than, than, yeah. than back then, for sure. So, so in this case, it wasn't like you were selling through their sales force. This was really just a, a, a back-end partnership where you were you were sharing data, you, you were uh, kind of vouching for each other. They didn't even give you the, the the sales list. You kind of figured out a creative way to figure out who their customers were. And then you use that relationship and the complementary nature of, of what you just talked about because you're getting speed to trust. You're getting speed to integration because you have that data feed and you're uh, getting those benefits. But ultimately, you were selling directly with a very targeted, uh, tar targeted prospect list, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... They saw that and, 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 and you got the desired outcome. Anything that you would have done differently? Yeah. Um, I, I, well, you know, I mean, I think this exercise we went through and this focus I would have done for sure back, you know, in 2017, maybe a little earlier. Yeah. Yeah. With, with, without a doubt, but you know, just didn't have, didn't have the experience or the knowledge to know the power or the benefit of it or anything like that to make the decision. So like no regrets. Yeah. You know, it's obviously hindsight's 2020, right? You, you know, sure. of course I'd, I'd do it sooner. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately it worked. It worked faster than you expected. You saw the benefits in the sales cycle. You saw the benefits in the integrations. And ultimately now, uh, you know, the chargeback functionality for friendly fraud is in, in one of the natural homes as part of the, the SIFT platform and, you know, overall good outcome. So great story. 
Well, Scott, yeah. thanks for joining us today. I, I love love the story, and it was great to to, to look back at it in, in retrospect with you. Appreciate thanks, Julian. It. Yeah, good to chat. Thanks for having me on. All right. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Growth Elevated Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please follow us and subscribe on your favorite podcast player? And we'd be grateful if you recommend it to a friend. If you'd like more resources on how to become a better leader in business, we invite you to visit us at growthelevated.com. We'll be back next week with more insight from another great tech leader. Thank you.